I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. So welcome back to our listeners of Parent Talk. We were very moved by the discussion on separation that we began in one of our early episodes recently. And today we'd like to really uh, dive into some strategies around separation, some surprising things you may not appreciate that happen when separation doesn't go well in early childhood education or even early grades of school. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And Susan, I'm really excited about having this conversation with you. I am too. As you know, it is one of my favorite topics. To me, it's foundational. It's the most important part of the curriculum for very young children starting school. And yet, you never really see that in curriculum outlines or even in school handbooks. Not only do you not see in handbooks, but until we had a conversation after our last episode on the subject, I didn't realize how important it was for the child. Because the assumption is, oh, yes, they're upset when you drop them off. But everyone's told, as soon as you leave mom and dad, they settle down and everything's fine. So the message that we get all the time is, don't worry about it. And here you're coming to us telling us, not only should we worry about it, but it's actually critically important. It is critically important. And the only thing I would change about what you said is that I don't want us to worry about it. I want us to be thoughtful about it. Nice. There's going to be crying. I'm telling you, there will be crying. But if you're doing this separation thoughtfully, you really can know and feel very confident that your child is going to continue to handle separations well throughout their life because separation isn't an event. It's not like, okay, I'm making a cake and I'm separating the egg. You don't separate a child from their parent or their primary caregiver in a day. It is a lifelong process. Have you never felt like a pang of separation when your child went to kindergarten or gone off to college? Or how about when your spouse takes a work trip? I mean, there's always these feelings of separation. My husband's on a work trip right now. And to be honest with you, I've been married for a long time. I still miss him. I still feel some pangs of separation. <laughs> this is a lifelong process. And if we're going to get deep into how central this is, I think it's part of being a mammal even. Because if you're a snake or a frog, you lay eggs, you never even see your kids. But if you're a mammal, the baby's life depends on a connection with the parent. And so we're, we're wired and built to be connected. Our survival, our very being depends on it. It does. And I would say that in the ideal world, every parent and every preschool would understand the importance of separation and they would make a thoughtful process. There has to be what I call a transfer of trust. The child is feeling very secure with their mother, their father, their primary caregiver, and they need to have a transfer of trust to this teacher. Let's say the child is 18 months and starting a toddler program. Parents will say, well, the teachers just say, walk away, they cry for a bit, and then they stop crying. Just as you said, that is really a very, very common thing to say. What I say to the parents, let's just pull back a little bit. Your child has been on this earth for 18 months. They don't have a lot of life experience. In fact, a very limited life experience. Do you expect them to go into a room with a bunch of other mostly screaming children <laughs> about the same age who are also without their parents and this strange person that maybe if they're lucky, they've met once or twice, like in a visit to the classroom, is supposed to be that person to take good care of them. Logically, it doesn't happen. This 
is a baby. And we cannot expect babies to do what even grownups have difficulty doing in certain circumstances. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, as with everything, there's a range. There's going to be some kids who love the uh, scene, run to join it, don't give it a second thought. So we don't want to tell people it's always an issue. But I would say it's probably an issue at some level in most kids in that situation. In fact, it's an issue for every child that is typically developing. How they express it can be different. And we're going to get into that a little because sometimes the child who marches into the classroom and says, I'm ready for school. Sometimes that child exhibits behaviors that we don't always take to be caused by separation because they're not crying when their parent leaves. And our listeners should know, you know a thing or two about this because you were in the room with preschool children for decades. Right. And and I I know that because we worked together (laughs) during (laughs) I like that. That's a good introduction because I can actually tell you the kinds of questions that I think parents should ask when they're approaching a new school. I always ask parents to say, first of all, what is the maximum group size? They're probably in ratio according to the state. So let's say it's one to three for toddlers of a certain age. But if they have a group that's as large as 15 or 16 children, that's really a lot of toddlers in one space. Even if they have four teachers in there, for instance, do you see what I mean? So look at group size. But then also, this is really important. Ask about how many teachers their child will encounter in one day. Where does my child go? Let's say you have a 18-month-old that you need to have in care from 7.30 to 6 or 6.30, whatever the hours are of your child care. So I'd like parents to ask, who's going to watch my child between 7.30 and the beginning of the quote-unquote school day that starts at 8.30 or 9? The answer should be, they'll be in their room with the first teacher who's on duty from 7.30, and then we add the teachers as the children enter the classroom. So maybe only one or two children start at 7.30, but by 9 o'clock, there might be 10 children, 10 toddlers in that classroom. The other thing is to say, where will the children nap? Where will they eat their lunch? Does anything happen after the end of the, again, quote unquote, end of the school day that might be 3 or 3.30? Some people call that aftercare or they call the early hours before care. Who are the teachers in this aftercare? Will my baby toddler, because the toddlers are still babies, have to be walked to another room, see a whole nother group of new teachers, and be mixed in with children that they hadn't been with the most of the day? Parents need to be very thoughtful about this. Schools sometimes make these decisions based on economics, and you can definitely understand that. But parents do have choices when they look, and they should get, they should look for the school that has the fewest, fewest transitions for their children in a day. Okay, I'm going to just quickly tell you how we did it. Yeah. Maybe there's directors out there that could listen to this. I would allow 10 toddlers starting at 18 months. And one teacher came at 7.30 and greeted the children who came very early. Another teacher came at 8. The third teacher came at 9. Those three teachers were the only teachers that those children were basically with for the whole day. And then the teachers left. 4.30, 4.35, and then 6. And we did something else. We did something called looping. So if a child entered at 18 months, they could stay with the same teachers until they graduated into a preschool class, which we said started at around age three. And I will tell you, our children thrived in that condition. We had waiting lists because people began to see how relaxed the children were, how happy they were, how completely secure and confident they felt in this classroom. 
Sometimes a school will say to a parent, we move them around because it's good for them. They get a lot of different environments. Well, it isn't good for them. More separations does not make a child better at separation. It actually chips away at that foundation of trust. Too many changes, too many transitions confuse a child, make them feel less safe and less secure. And this is something that parents can ask about these transitions. And I will tell you something else. This way, teachers really can give a parent a real sense of how their child did during the day. Well, Susan, I was just going to say, we set the scene, you know, the stage is set for a good experience that doesn't overburden the child with too many new faces. As a skilled observer of children, how could you pick out who is struggling with a poorly executed separation? Well, there were usually two general categories of observing children. One was a child who was very, very aggressive and was having all kinds of difficulties in the classroom and really aggressive. I mean, we're talking hitting, pushing, biting, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And the other one is if a child seems paralyzed in the classroom, they're not crying and they're not screaming when the teacher comes by them. In fact, some of these children stay very close to the teacher. They're not engaging with the other children. They're really not engaging with the toys or maybe they pick one toy. They'll stand by the sandbox and put their fingers in the sandbox, or maybe they'll just stay by the easel. And when the teacher moves, they move with them. That is a child also that is not comfortable in the classroom. That is a child who does not feel safe. Here's another thing that they can look for. If the child does not take food from the teacher, won't take a snack, doesn't eat his or her lunch, or they can't nap, because remember, eating and sleeping, where do you usually do those things? at home. You don't do them at school. So those are children that are still struggling with the process. And it depends on how much that interferes. But if a child is not eating, these are things that a parent, instead of just saying, oh, they're not eating, let's try different foods. Instead, think about why is this child who generally eats okay at home, not eating at school? They're not feeling safe. They're not feeling that this is a place that they can even let their guard down enough to sit down and have a meal. So this is something that a lot of people, I never thought of that. You know, I never thought that that meant that they hadn't done a separation that was thoughtful. It makes a lot of sense. I'm going to give you one that really is a little bit, feels a little bit out there, but I have seen this happen again and again. A child who puts themselves in harm's way. So what I mean by that is the child that suddenly is climbing up to a top of a jungle gym or doing something that is completely unsafe. Another very, very common way that younger children twos and threes do is that they hide. Now, why was a child going to do that? A three-year-old isn't thinking, I'm going to be playing like a prank. They're saying, I'm scared. I'm not feeling that safe or that secure. And I want everyone around me to feel how scared I am. That really can happen. And if that was a particular thing that a child did, to me, that was a way of that child saying, I don't feel safe. So I'm putting myself in an unsafe situation, first to make everyone else feel scared, but also to see if these adults can be trusted, are they going to keep me safe? Such important insights, Susan. So given what we know, how can parents work with their children's schools to create a better separation experience? Oh, this is a great way, I think, to end the podcast. And that is, of course, to ask them, what's their separation policy? Ideally, a child should be able to visit the classroom two or three times before the school begins. There might be a time when other children are there, so you have a small group of kids getting to know the teacher. If your child is going to start full-time care and they've never been in full-time care, talk about helping the child get acclimated, staying with the child for an hour or so, leaving for a short period of time, and then coming back. 
I have a whole uh, series on this, but let's just say you go for 20 or 30 minutes. You want to keep the time relatively short so that child learns mommy or daddy goes away, but mommy and daddy always come back. Never, ever sneaking out, always making sure that you say goodbye, making a small routine to say goodbye, like two kisses and three hugs today. Give the child a little control on that. But if your child is really screaming and really looking panicked, parents have to be thoughtful of that. If they cannot stay in the classroom because of their work obligations, they can get another trusted and loved adult. Maybe a grandparent could do it, a former babysitter, somebody that the child knows that they can come to. And this is an important piece. There are cues and clues that you can look for in separation. So if the child needs you to walk with them to every new event, they want to look at the housekeeping corner. They want to be at the easel, but they can't go without you. Your child is not ready to be there without you. You know, they still need you. But slowly, you should be able to sit at the edge of the room and then you should be looking. Do they need a physical check-in? Do they have to run to you, touch you and say, okay, you're still there, mommy, and run away? Or can they just say, oh, there's dad. He's there. He's working on his computer, but he's there. And then they can just go around to the different activities. Will they let the teacher change their diaper if they're still in diapers? Will they let the teacher give them their snack? I've seen where the child is doing fine with the teacher, but then it comes to snacks. They won't take the food from the teacher. They need mom or dad or other caregiver to do that. These are children that need a slower transition. It's better if the parent can be there, but if not, a loving nanny or a grandparent can absolutely do the job. That child just needs more time for that transfer of trust to build up that safety and security. And Arthur, talking about what you said about the the teachers all say, oh, he just cries for a few minutes and then he's fine. Again, it could be fine. It could be just your child's way of saying, yeah, yeah, I really love school, but I have to show you that I'm missing you. And if that child is able to engage in activities, be part of the community of learners, play with the toys, engage with the teacher, let them feed them and change their diaper or play with them or talk to them, then that teacher's comment is completely valid. However, If the teacher says he stops crying, but then we see the child who is paralyzed, doesn't move, is very, very aggressive, then we know that we probably need to go backwards and work on that separation. If there's any takeaway, it's time. You cannot rush a process that is a process. It's not an event. A process means taking time. How much time? That depends on the child's individual personality and really what's going on in their life. So I hope that this is getting people to think a little bit about separation, maybe thinking about it a bit differently. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.